Good morning, New Life Manitou. Good morning. My name is Ryan Scherholtz, and I know you're just getting comfortable, but would you please stand for the scripture reading? Today's reading is from Revelation chapter 21, the first three verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling is here with mankind. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and gather as your people, your church, your beloved, your bride, and to worship you in unity as the body connected to Christ as the head, to glorify you rightly. So would you continue to fill this place with your presence, fill me with your words, and give us all eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that understand, that we would see you, respond to you, and glorify you rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Amen, beloved. Please take a seat. I think that's how it works here usually, right? <laughs> Perfect. Um, by means of short introduction, I am neither Joe, a little holler for Joe. We all love Joe. And I am not Brett, a little holler for him as well. They are vacating, which means whatever they are doing, it's vacating whatever they were doing before, which is being here. Uh, my name is Evan Riedel. I am one of the pastors with New Life Church as a whole. In particular, I am on staff with New Life Downtown. Some of you have seen me. This is actually, I think this is the fourth summer in a row that I've gotten to come and fill in Joe's pulpit. So I love coming. I love the energy. I love the fact that you all are so faithfully carrying the mission in Manitou Springs of all places. Manitou Springs. And um, yeah, it's just, it's an honor. I, by means of a little introduction, here's a picture of my family. So so we can get to know each other a little bit. Yeah, thanks guys. <laughs> so this is my wife, Karen. We just hit the nine year marriage anniversary mark. Uh, going strong. This little guy on the right is William. He turned four in May. Um, he is so much fun. He has cerebral palsy. He had a kind of a crazy birth story, and it, but he's amazing. He's high functioning. He has a ton of laughter. We're working on walking, uh, and he's just great. And then the guy on the left there is Alistair, and he just turned one in July. Um, parents in the house, how you guys doing? We're doing good. This is. Just to explain our family dynamic, Alistair came in and people were like, before you have your second child, you get a lot of unsolicited advice. I think in life you get a lot of unsolicited advice, right? That's a thing of, hey, common experience, let me tell you about mine. Like, okay. Um, but people would assume and they would project on me that it would be hard, like I would have this fear that I couldn't love the second, as much as I love the first, but don't worry, God just makes that space and you'll love him the same. And I, kept, I would receive and nod along and stuff, but that was not my fear because I knew I would love him. I'm a very loving person. That's not what I worried about. But I would meet other kids and my fear was I wouldn't like him <laughs> as much as I liked William or these other kids. Like, there are just some kids that are tough. And that was this, like, I know I'm gonna love him but I really hope I like him. I really, really do. And I have to tell you, I love and like him a whole lot. He's a super funny kid. Uh, he's one and his personality is just like really starting to come out. 
And one of the things he'll do is just, if you look at him and say, like, I'm gonna get you, he'll just do, ha ha ha, and start crawling away, which is super fun. Or he, he's, we call him our truffle pig, because he can like sniff out and find stuff like crayons, like we haven't played with crayons for weeks and we cleaned and you just found them and they're in your mouth. Like my little truffle pig, knock that off. Uh, he also lounges, which is super funny to us. Any, any seat of any sort, he will sit in it and then slowly just make his way until he's just like sitting like this. And it's so, he's just so funny. I like him so much. Um, so there's my family. Today we are continuing a series. Uh, and we're talking about, it's a series called Whole Life, and downtown we're doing this as well as you all, so it's fun to be able to parallel that amongst the congregations. And I'm going to tackle kind of two things that we did at downtown, which is both marriage and singleness. So married people in the house, all are at me. All right. And single people in the house, all are at me. All right. That should be all of us then. This is for all of us then. We're, we're all in it together. Um, what we're talking about within integrated spirituality is how to incorporate these different facets of our lives so that our whole life is glorifying, it is pursuing, it is worshiping God, it is saying, there's not my spiritual peace and then the rest of these, but saying actually all of these come under a banner of our calling and our life lived with God and our life lived for God. And so today we're talking about marriage and singleness within that banner. And I wanna give a, just this quick caveat that the, the stories that we all carry in this room are so deep and wide and beautiful and broken and filled with joy and filled with pain that I cannot possibly cover every single one of our stories and say, here's the answer for all of marriage and all of singleness and all of our lives. So let's just accept that, that your story, I'm not trying to say like, here's your life, I'm saying here is our communal life as Christians and how this fits within integrating that into our spiritual lives and our whole selves. So we'll go through some points and it's not, I'm not trying to address everything I know, I know, and I would love to sit with you and I'd love to hear that and as pastors, that's our delight and hopefully that's happening within community groups and your stories are seen and known and you're cared for by one another. In particular, I'm saying, how do we take that story and start thinking and integrating some of what I'm gonna be talking about today into it? So, what I want us to think about right now is what would change in your life, whether with your singleness or with your marriage, maybe it's a first marriage, a second marriage, maybe you're single because of the nuance of, I've never been married and I'm young, I've never been married, I'm actually a little older. I was married and I, I'm now a widow or widower or I, a divorce, there's all of that myriad. But what would change if we lived and we chose, we lived a life as though we chose whatever status that we found ourselves in. Not saying that you did choose it, because so much of life happens to us, but if we started saying, I'm going to intentionally live out where I find myself. I'm finding myself in singleness in this circumstance, and I'm gonna to choose to live out that. Or I'm finding myself in my marriage, and some of our marriages are probably at a good spot. Some of them might not be at a good spot. At any point, like, don't just start accusing each other of stuff. No, no ribbing in this, okay? You can't just egg your spouse on and be like, that's you, you should pay attention to this guy right now. That's not, <laughs> but what would happen if we ourselves took that on and said, okay, I am choosing where I am in life. I wanna go through three points in talking about how do we integrate our whole life within the idea of marriage and singleness into 
what God has called us to do. And the first one is to look at where we come from as Christians. What did we sign up for? And I want us to recognize the mission that we all have as a church. This is the first thing. That whether we are single or whether we are married, that we as Christians have all been called into a mission of God and that the people of God for history past and however much longer until Christ comes back and even then after that, that we have been called to be a people on mission. That even in the garden when God creates Adam and Eve, he sets them in it and he gives them work to do. And work has been part of this whole life series and saying, now work it, now till it, now take care of it and tend it. And that that is part of the mission of God. Why are we here to be on mission to cultivate and to bring his kingdom? And then there's all the fall stuff and there's all the Adam and Eve and our rebellion and we see those stories over and over again. And then there's this call after the fall of Abram who becomes Abraham. And he is called into mission. I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you a different way. I'm gonna show you a place. I'm gonna give you a calling and a purpose and a mission. And that that is something that from the hallmarks of Genesis, I just went through one, two, three. I skipped to Genesis 12 there with Abraham. That from the very beginning, the people of God are called into a mission to cooperate and to work alongside the spirit and what God is doing on earth and to say, you're up to something and I wanna be part of that. And when we fast forward, we see Jesus come and his constant language throughout the gospels is his kingdom coming. And it's to build a mission. And sin has blown this all out of the water. God created humanity in his own image, in the divine image. This is Genesis 1. He created the male and female. And he created them in that, in with mission, and then it all went wrong. They fall, they sin. What God, that's fractured and fragmented, what God joins together, sin started tearing asunder, he had to tear it apart. So in all of that, the mission of God is first cultivating something where there is no wrong and there is no brokenness. And then after that, cultivating it and bringing it back together. To say, work in this place to bring the presence of God and the kingdom of God and the purposes and the plans of God. To live in such a way that those things are advanced in our world. And what God joined together, sin tore apart, but then we get to this gospel, Ephesians 1, 10 and the CEB. This is what God planned for the climax of all times, to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven along with things on earth. The climax of all things in all time is this mission which is seen in the pinnacle of the narrative in Christ, the climactic point that what sin has brought apart and tore apart Christ is bringing back together in himself. That he is taking all that is broken in this world, whether it's singleness, whether it's our marriages, whether it's our friendships, whether it's the news, and then the last 24 hours have been tragic in our country. And sin is tearing these things apart and God is coming and he's saying, and I am bringing back together into wholeness that which sin has torn apart. And this is the mission that we have as the church. What sin tore apart, God and Christ is uniting back together. That our call is to be part of this reunification of the whole world, of everything that is and, and, and will be, and bring it back into this wholeness, into unity, and to peace, and to worship and glory to God. And when you signed up, when you said, yes, I'm going to be a Christian, it was not moral reform that you were signing up for, which means I got to do good stuff. I'm gonna act this way, I'm gonna be this way, I'm gonna put that cool bumper sticker on my car and people will know that I am a Christian. When you 
become a Christian, what you're basically saying is, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done in and through my life as it is in heaven. And what I'm joining into is the mission of God, that what sin has torn apart, I am going to be united in Christ because Christ is uniting all things back together into himself, into holiness, into goodness, into righteousness. And so this, this whole discussion needs to be framed in this idea that as Christians, whether you are married or whether you are single, that you are called to be on mission. That whatever the kingdom is, right now you can start imagining what is the mission of the kingdom. It could be in your family. It could be in your workplace. It could be in the city of Manitou or the Westsiders. I've heard that a lot this morning. Like, I'm a Westsider. Like, which means you don't quite live in Manitou, but you're really close. Okay. <laughs> I was as close as I could get. All right. Where, where is it? Who is it? Is it your neighbors? Is it inviting them over and, and, and taking up a mission of neighboring? Is it working within the, the, the kitchens and the outreaches and, and the homeless population? Is it working with single moms and supporting? What, what is it that we would say, this is the way that the kingdom works? It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of hospitality. It's a kingdom of generosity. And God is bringing what would be broken back together in Christ and through us. And that this is the mission that we are supposed to be part of. If we can frame whatever our status is, single or married, within that, then it starts giving way to some of these other points that I want to make. And the next one is that the mission is part of what we're pointing to. What we're coming from is we are a people on mission. What all of this is pointing to is reflecting God's unity as a sign of what is to come. That we're called to receive the mission and then to reflect it as a sign of what is to come. And I wanna ask what is the purpose of a sign? A road sign, perhaps, a whatever. I, I still love, I used to live in Monument. I grew up at high school in Monument. And when you get on the on-ramp going south, there's a sign and it says Colorado Springs and it lists however many miles, right? And then it says Pueblo, because you might be going to Pueblo at that point and need to know how far it is, and it says that. And then the next one, does anybody know at Monument what the ne Albuquerque, thank you, Justin. Why? I've grown up 20 years wondering, why does anybody need to know where Albuquerque is at this point? <laughs> but somebody said, somebody might need to know what's coming up, so we're gonna give them a sign. Here it is, Albuquerque, 310 miles, okay. But that's the point of a sign, is that it's pointing to something that's up, what's to come. I was even asking where the best restroom was this morning, and I was told it was that little hallway, and then they said, oh, and by the way, it's the door on the right, which a sign would have also told me, because it said men. And I was like, oh, it's a sign. I know what's coming up. It's the men's restroom but on the other side of this. It points to something. Now, there's important things about a sign. And so the accuracy of the sign is very important and the intention of the person reading the sign is also important. Because if the sign is inaccurate or we're not actually paying attention to it, then the whole point of the sign is moot, right? Um, accuracy, don't show the picture yet, but we're on the cusp of this. I love this. Some hackers in Austin. Any Austin fans in the house? Keep Austin weird just like you keep Manitou weird? All right, I'm looking at you, Sherholz, all right. <laughs> This, some hackers hacked into the city's whatever and played with their road signs. And this was the result that they came up with. <laughs> yes! 
It's a sign, completely inaccurate. Kind of funny now that we know it, but I don't know if they ever found the guys, but it was all over the news a couple of years ago. And I just, I've seen it happen since then, but that's just funny. It's a sign, but what it is pointing to is inaccurate. Or there's the other part of it where it's a sign, but we're just not paying attention. Have you ever driven and you see the signs coming, lane closed, and you see it? And you see the guy next to you who's in that lane that's closing, and you see that he doesn't see it? So you make the appropriate amount of space. I'm seeing the sign, you're not seeing the sign, and all of a sudden he comes up to the cone, which is, I guess, a sign in itself, and he goes, you're welcome. For both of our sakes, you're welcome. All that to say, it's a sign, and it's pointing to something, and that's important that it's accurate, and that it is telling us something, and we need to receive it, and so I want to bring about what is the sign of marriage and the sign of singleness and frame them both in this language. That whether we are married or whether we are single, we're part of a mission of God. And in that mission, that status, that marriage or singleness is supposed to be pointing to something greater than itself. All right, I'm gonna say that again. Think of your singleness if you are single in the room. Think of your marriage if you are married in the room. It is supposed to act as a sign to something greater than itself, of something else to come, of some other thing other than itself. It is not an end in itself. It is a sign that points to what is to come. The sign of marriage, I want to start there. This one is fairly explicit, and we've, we've seen a lot of this language. The unity of Christ and the church and the age to come. Paul in Ephesians 5, we've, we've heard this language over and over again, that in a marriage, which is to be mutually submissive as unto Christ, we're, we're submitting to one another, points to, this is Ephesians 5, 32. Marriage is a significant allegory, and I'm implying it, what I mean is that it's Christ and the church. That your marriage is not an end in itself, it's not terminal. Single people, when we think, sometimes, I used to be single, right? We all started there, pretty sure. None of us had like a pre-engaged marriage thing. Okay, yeah, so when we were in that point, it's not like, oh, I'm gonna get married, and then there's the finality of it. I have arrived all of a sudden, whether it's I've arrived in maturity, I've arrived in satisfaction, I've arrived in enlightenment. No, if anything, my wife will tell me how much I'm not enlightened in marriage. Great, thank you, but, what it's pointing to is a unity that is greater than itself of Christ and the church. And as married people, we need to be asking ourselves, do we think that we have arrived because we're married? I'm good, I'm married. Or are we continually asking ourselves, now that I am married, is my marriage acting as a sign that's pointing others to the future unity to come of Christ and his church? That he is coming back that the return will happen, and that was Paul saying, this allegory is great, but what I'm referring to is Christ and the church, this, this unification, that this is what we're waiting for. So even in our marriage, we're not just saying, okay, I'm not, I'm not waiting to get married anymore, I'm married, and, going, and even in my marriage, I'm waiting for something that is to come because I'm, I'm working on mission to point others to, and guess what, there's something greater than this marriage that is to come, and it's the ultimate marriage of Christ and his church. There's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of scriptures, I'm skipping a point here by the way, of, that like really like, like tense me up a whole lot, like, oh, I don't like that. 
But one in particular is when the Sadducees are questioning Jesus about there's the, the seven brothers and the, the woman and the brothers die and so each one marries the woman and whose husband will she have that's in the age to come. And he, then he corrects them. This is in Matthew 22. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they, they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. Um, that's, that's a simile, the word like. We will not become angels in heaven in case anyone's thinking that. But this is saying like, I, like when I hear this verse, it, it really like, it grates at me. And I, the main reason is because I love my wife a lot. I love being married to her. I love the unity with her. I love the fact that we get to be partners and friends and co-adventurers and all. And I don't know how much of that dynamic changes, but there's something that this is saying that in the age to come, you guys don't get it. You're not gonna be married like that because the fulfillment of this unity will happen. And guess what? It's not another human. It's Christ and his church. So our marriages need to be pointing to that and we need to wrestle with this. It's my marriage an accurate sign. If someone was to see my marriage and we're saying a sign needs to be accurate and it needs to be paid attention to, would people see the sign of my marriage and think there's something greater coming and I'm seeing it in and through these guys? The way that this marriage is living out its mission points me and shows me something greater that is to come. And that should mess with us. So I'm going, I need to do some work now. I need to think about that. How am I living the mission? And then is the sign accurate and clear? Now the sign of singleness. This might, this might play with us a little bit because I don't know if we, it's clear because Paul says, look, I'm talking, this is an analogy. This is Christ and his church. But there's not really a point where we say, and look at singleness. It's a sign of, what is, what is, <laughs> what is that? A singleness is a sign of the unity of the spirit and the church and the present age. That if marriage is looking for the age to come, we, we, we have a, a popular theology phrase that runs around of what the kingdom is, is here but not here, now but not yet. That with Jesus bringing on his kingdom and yet we're still waiting for his return when the fullness of that reign and implementation is to come. The kingdom is here but it's not here. It's now but it's not yet. And so we're waiting for something, but our marriages point and that unity between two people as a sign of the unity of Christ and his church. Our singleness has the potential to point to the unity that's already here with the spirit of God. That we can recognize that God has already poured out his spirit. He's already unified himself with humanity. That we are the place where God dwells. Revelation 21, one through three here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from those th the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. That in fact, this is the tension of here but not, not here, now but not yet. That, that God will in that, that day fully dwell with us and yet, for us who believe now, he has already poured out his spirit. So that even in our singleness, we can say, my mission is to live in a unity with the spirit that's already been given to me, which is then a sign pointing to the unity with Christ that we will have in that age. 
that even in our singleness, we can be on mission. And it, there's other missions that it also fulfills in this day and age, thinking of how we have been given a new family, right? We're part of God's family. Have you ever thought about that, even as a sign of what is to come? We're gonna live in such a way that we eat at each other's houses, we take care of each other's needs, we love, we support one another, we babysit for each other, we work together on some house project, we grieve with each other when we're each other's grieving, we rejoice and celebrate with each other, and guess what, we're not blood related. That even the way that we live out family and look at the family table, do you guys do groups here, like small groups, meal groups, I'm pretty sure, right? <laughs> Have you eaten with anybody else in this room at their table and thought to myself, this is the family of God I'm eating with right now. We do it every week when we come to the communion table. This is the family of God that I've been given to. And guess what? Your singleness and your marriage points to that other sign of going, I can be single and part of a family and even... How many people here have family in town, like live in Colorado Springs area? All right, you guys, look around right now. Look, keep those hands up. How many people now do not have family in town in the Colorado Springs area? That, I'm assume, that looks like more than half the room to me. And that is status quo for Colorado Springs area, right? People move in and out all the time. I love like church life because it's like, oh, I love that person. And three years later, they moved. Dang it, <laughs> like, I'm constantly welcoming and grieving the loss, ah! But when they're here, this is like Olive Garden now, they're family, because we're all, we're all part of this family, and even that points in saying, my marriage, my singleness, we're all at this table, and it's pointing towards even the family of God recognizing the full family to come. If we say that we are called on mission, this is the calling that we receive, and that what we're called to reflect is the sign to say, I'm showing the world through my singleness, a life lived in unity with the Spirit now, through my marriage, a life pointing towards the marriage union that is to come between bride and the church. We recognize the mission, we reflect the sign, and finally I wanna say here and now, this is how we respond. We receive both marriage and singleness as a gift. We receive it as a gift. Let me frame this a little bit, because your situation, like I'm, I'm nuancing, I'm not gonna be able to address everyone, and you might be sitting there saying, my situation is not a gift. My situation is hard, it's broken, it's tearful. Let's, let's walk in this together. This is what I mean by gift. Have you ever received a gift that you just didn't know what to do with it? Anyone? What are, what are those gifts in the room? Huh? A white elephant gift, yes. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I got a case of expired McDonald's cookies, like kids' meal cookies one time. That's a great example. I was like, I don't know what to do with that. Throw it away? What do I do with this gift? Um, my, my favorite example, I, I went to school, uh, my undergrad was in Portland, Oregon, at a Bible school called Multnomah. And I didn't realize how many, like, I'm gonna call them good old boys and hope I'm not like really poking anybody in here, but good old boys. Like they had their car hearts and their boots and they like could build anything and tow anything and just their stories were just like, man, you guys work on the farm, like wow. And all of them walked around with some sort of knife or leatherman like slipped in their pocket, right? Who's, who's got one right now? Yeah, yeah, right. Just like that. Security! Security! <laughs> no, 
just like that. That's the example. Is there just one here, though? I would have expected it, man. I see that hand. All right. So, yeah. I don't Okay. You're, okay. I was like, you're wearing a dress. I don't know where you... There's no pocket, but all right. So, this was school. With, with all these guys walking around with knives, and they're like, oh, yeah, I use it for everything. And at some point in that college career, I was gifted a Leatherman. And I thought, all right. I've arrived, like, I get to use this for everything. And I walked around not knowing what to do with it. Like, the only functional thing I used that for was to open up Amazon packages. Like, that's, that was it with the knife. Like, I just did not appreciate the utility of the Leatherman, right? Anybody else in the room not? Am I the only one? I'm calling myself out. I don't know what to do with your knife except for open boxes. Splinters? Okay, splinters. Packages and splinters, that's all. We carry it around for just those things. And I had it until its uh, early demise at the TSA check-in point. But, um, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying is, we, we have this mission, it functions as a sign, but we receive it and walk in it as a gift that is to be used in a different way. Because we receive gifts a lot of times like that example and go, I don't really know what to do this. I don't know how to, how to make this work. I, I don't, what do I do? But a Christian gift is uniquely different. Because in Christianity, a gift is not for ourselves mainly. A gift is to be spent for the sake of others, not the gain of only ourselves. In Christianity, when Paul, throughout the New Testament, talks about the gifts that we have received, the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts uh, that God has instilled in each of us, he does not say, you have this gift, now keep it to yourself. But Christianity is instead a gift, which then is to be spent by us for the sake of others. That whatever your gift is, and he goes through a, a lots of lists in Corinthians and Romans, if it's hospitality, do it cheerfully. If it's administration, do it excellently. If it's leadership, lead well. He's going, look at all of these gifts, and then the spiritual gifts. If it's prophecy, if, if it's, you know, not tongues, because that's the one for ourselves, but if it's all these other spiritual gifts of foreknowledge, of words of discernment, whatever it is, he's saying, this is for the common good. This is not to be spent only on yourself. So if we are a people on mission and we're supposed to be pointing to a sign of something greater, of Christ and his church and the reunification, what, what sin has tore apart, the mission is bringing it all back together, then how do you receive your gift of singleness or your gift of your marriage, not only for the sake of yourselves, but for the sake of others who are around you? How do you function out of your singleness? And all of us have these parts. Romans 12, we have different gifts in the same consistent, that God's grace has been given to us, is what I'm saying, that's my text right there. But we all have challenges within whatever it is, whatever place, I'm single, I'm married. There's, there's ups and downs with it. I, 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 I love this comedian one time, I was watching him and he talked about like when they started having kids and he's like, single people. You decide that you want to go somewhere. And you know what you do? I'm going to go here. There. Married people with kids. That's not how it works. Who's got the diapers? Did you change him? Did you dress him? He spit up on himself. Where is his shoe? And it's just like, you can't just do that. All of us have our, like, this is a blessing and this is something else. I don't know if it's a curse, but I love you kids, but you take forever to get anywhere. And I... <laughs> And William can't walk, so it takes even longer. Like, the amount of time I spend in a parking lot just trying to let him get across it on his own is like, buddy, there's a car coming. You need to 
to keep moving. And he'll just look at it. He goes, that's a red car. I'm like, I know it's a red car. Pick him up, pick a walker up, get him out of there. But how do we receive it as a gift and think of it missionally and as a sign of saying, I have this, this status in life. I'm single or I'm married. Am I really living it out in a way that points others of what is to come or what is already here in our singleness of the spirit is already here in unity with us? And am I living it out for the sake of others around me? That in my singleness, I had, and Paul talks about this, it's better that you're single. Uh, and if you guys want some examples of like the top people within Christendom that remain single, Jesus is a great start. That somehow he fully lived out the full potential and the full humanity of life and remained single in full unity with the Father and the Spirit. Like, there's just this, this is what we're talking about. Jesus sets forth this example, but, but how do you take it? If you're single, how do you take the extra time, the extra flexibility? How do you invest it? And I know so many people in community that end up saying, I do have this opportunity. I'm gonna receive it as a gift, but in my Christian context, a gift is for the sake of others. And I'm gonna invest more in volunteering. I'm gonna invest more in serving in our community. Uh, the majority of teachers that I know uh, end up, we do a thing within New Life, I don't know if you've all heard of it, but it's called Rural Family Kids Camp. Uh, and it's a one week sleepaway camp for kids in the El Paso County foster care system. So every year we take 72 kids up to camp and just love on them like crazy for a full week. And it's just amazing to see how they can be transformed in that environment in just a week. And then we partner with them in mentoring through the year. But I'm amazed that the vast majority of people that come up there are single people who are also teachers. Because they look at this gift and they're saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna receive this place in life. I might not always be single, I might be. That's, it's a struggle. It's hard to be in that place but I'm gonna receive it and I'm gonna go invest it for the sake of someone else. And I'm gonna join in this camp. I'm gonna have the opportunity of a summer week and I'm gonna invest it for the life of somebody else and seeing God bring back together these broken hearts and these kids. And so there, that's just an example, but hopefully it stirs us to say, where am I? What is my opportunity? Married people before kids. I loved that. Dink, you guys all know that one? Dual income, no kids. That was great. You call me a dink, I'd say, that was awesome, I love, yes, thank you, now I'm sink. And it's also great, except it's with kids. Sook, sook, But even in that, it's a nuanced stage of life of saying, how do I take the opportunity of us together and invite other people into it? When Karen and I were without kids, we got so many more house projects done, which is on ourselves, but those ended up leading to, we had so much more capacity to host other people in our home. How are you inviting in someone else and saying, you're new to town. If you're new to Colorado Springs, it could be tough because everybody else took a long time to find their community and then they like hold on to it, right? <laughs> I don't know if anybody else have felt that. That's what we hear a lot of feedback. It's like, it's just tough. But how can you be that Christ missional sign of saying, God has invited us to his table to eat freely. I'm gonna invite you. We're gonna point to something greater and beyond mission and my gift of where I'm at is gonna be spent inviting you into hospitality? Or, or what else is it? If you have kids, how, do you, how does that play out? We have two kids and we have these missional moments where, especially with William, because of his birth story, we find ourselves getting called into way more 
other opportunities with other people who are having difficult pregnancies, a difficult delivery, kids with special needs. And it's this opportunity of saying, I would not have chosen to receive a child with special needs. I just wouldn't have. And yet, we love William. God is, is giving us the grace and the support that we need around us to do that. And then it's letting us be on mission and act as a sign for the sake of other people too and coming alongside of them, encouraging them, breathing life into them and saying, this is, where, this is my circumstance and I'm receiving it as a gift to be spent for the sake of others around me. So we come to the table today and, and this, is our, this is our time and our moment. I, don't, I, I see our worship. It's just the eye that I gave you. You want to come up? Yeah, cool. <laughs> so I invite the worship team up behind me. <laughs> this is the time we come back to the table and we recognize what Jesus did. That he is this full incorporation. That we couldn't live out this mission without first having the perfect example of it. The perfect sign of the age to come. What, he is the culminator of all of it. And him living his life as a gift spent for the sake of others. But then also, it's this confession that we come to and say, and God, we can't actually live this way without the gospel. Marriages, if we're supposed to be a sign of the unity of Christ in the church, then good Lord, we need to be able to exemplify what this means when we come to the table. God, I confess and I receive your goodness. And then we turn to our spouses and act that out with one another. I am sorry for this, my spouse. I forgive you. Can we practice that? Single people, we practice that with friendships, with family. There's, that's not limited to just that relationship. How do we confess? How do we give? How do we receive again the mission of God, empowered by the spirit and the grace and the forgiveness of God, that we then can go and live out the mission that we've been called to? We can live clearly as the sign of what God is doing in this earth and what is still to come, and that we can do it all as a gift for the sake of others around us. Let's come to the table.